Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. This is Abe. Hello. Uh, Out now is a film podcast. As Abe and I are discussing new movies weekly. However, every now and then we like to do random bonus episodes, such as this one, which is going to be another commentary. And um, opposed to the last, I don't know, couple months where we've done movies that maybe people don't consider to be the best movies to uh, to reflect on, we're doing a good movie this time, Abe. You know? Yeah. You know, we're actually doing one of those classics that we joke about doing classics about. Yeah, we're actually going to do a good movie. We're going to talk about the second in the James Bond franchise, not counting Casino Royale, the first version of that movie. I don't know why I needed to add that, but I did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> doing an audio I was scratching my head as well. <laughs> we're doing an audio commentary for From Russia with Love, starring Sean Connery. And um, yeah, joining us to discuss this uh, one of the what of what many would consider one of the best Bond films, we have writer for Mendelssohn's Memos and Huffington Post, the newest member of Spectre, Scott Mendelssohn. Hello. And we also have a guest writer for Mendelssohn's Memos, the descendant of Red Grant himself, Brandon Peters. Big enough for me, that is. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, how are you guys doing? I'm doing fine. Fantastic. Great. Now, um, Brandon, you've been a, a guest writer for on Scott's blog, and I, I wonder if you, you'd like to um, explain the, the essays that you've been writing uh, for Mendelssohn's Memos. Well, um, I'm doing a retrospective series on... Uh, the 007 James Bond films, uh, the focus on Bond on the big screen. The one, the Casino Royale that you mentioned as being the first was a uh, episode of a television series, and starred a guy uh, playing a character named Jimmy Bond. So it wasn't, and he was American. So it really doesn't. It, it was based off of uh, the book Casino Royale, but the first theatrical debut of James Bond was Doctor No. So that's where I've started and move forward. Um, I haven't visited a lot of these films in many years and I've always been a big Bond fan. So I thought it was a interesting thing to go back and see how I feel about them now. Great. And yeah, I've been finding them quite entertaining and uh, obviously Brandon has a, he's, he's, he's been really good on the, on the Bond knowledge and kind of uh, uh, making that, making that work in the, in these, all these entries for every film in chronological order leading up to, of course, Skyfall, which comes out in November. So, uh, that's why I've decided. I've just. I figured, why not have him on with with Scott and do like a whole Bond commentary? So I figure we're going to do this one for for Marshall with Love, and then uh, a second a second Bond commentary, probably for Quantum of Solace, which would you know lead us right into Skyfall and provide maybe some interesting interesting discussion because I know Scott is a bigger fan of Quantum of Solace than many, and <laughs> you know it's a. <laughs> It's it's a fitting it's a fitting Bond film to talk about given the relative new nature of that film and, and it's short. 
And it's short, yeah. <laughs> we, do, we do like our brevity when we come to these commentaries because it's exhausting to do them. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Any No announcements. It's a commentary. It's a bonus episode. doesn't matter, really. So let's just uh, get underway into things. Um, Abe, Scott, Brandon, and myself all have for much love queued up on our various players. And um, we're, we're synced in at about one to three seconds in. It's where the MGM logo is on screen and the lion is about to roar. It's or sneeze. Or sneeze. One of those. It does those things. <laughs> Lions. And um, it's it's about to it's about to roar. So that's where we all have it paused. So I'm going to count down from three to two to one and then say go. And on the sound of go, we all press play. We all set with that? Yep. Okay. So three, two, one, go. All right. All right. Notable here. Uh, this is not Sean Connery. Ooh. This is Bob Simmons, his stuntman. So, wow, so, the, uh, the, uh, first Bond you ever see on screen, because this was, uh, how Dr. No started, is Bob Simmons, because this was an afterthought and done in post-production when coming up with the credits of Dr. No. Hmm. And Bob Simmons is around, Sean Connery was not. I like that the the technology for fading in the gunshot barrel did not exist yet, so we just got to fade to black and then fade back in, as opposed to expanding the gun barrel logo out. Yes. And this is actually, if I recall, one of the rare opening credit sequences that actually starts with a close-up of quote-unquote James Bond. Uh, I remember when The World Is Not Enough came out back in 99. That was actually the first, for, for reasons... Okay, I'm assuming we've all seen this. That is obviously not James Bond. Uh but the world's not enough was the only credit sequence, I believe, up to that time that that came or pre credit sequence that started with a close up of in this case Pierce Brosnan's face. This, uh, I don't know, you've watched more of these recently than I have, Brandon. Are there any other pre credit sequences that start right on Pierce Brosnan's face or uh, right on James Bond's face? Um, that I've gone through, I Thunderball gets really quickly to him, but it does not start on his face. Yeah, uh, World Is Not Enough does just, like, start with Bond kind of, like, walking through a crowd, right? It's like just... Yeah, with the glasses and a suitcase. It's like walking to the bank. <laughs> um, here's something notable about the teaser scene before the credits is uh, this one is actually a happy accident, and it set the trend because this was supposed to occur later in the film uh, where I think Rosa Klebb is checking out Red Grant to see how he can do in the field, and the editor wanted to start with a bigger kick and show Sean Connery earlier. Because you don't really see him until, like, yes. much later. Yes, he won't later. show up until, like, 17 minutes into the film with this added. But, uh, so he threw it in just to spice it up a little bit, and, uh, hence the opening teaser was born on accident. Can we talk about the logic of this tr- this training sequence? <laughs> so, so Red Grant... Okay, so we know that this is not Bond, and, Red, and we're really following Red Grant and how he's supposed to be the the main anta- the big antagonist who's going after Bond. So the idea is that this this entire training operation that's all watching him slowly stalk Bond and see if he can get a do a great time out of it, and and so some guy has died in this, right? That's uh, probably a fellow Spectre agent. Someone who lost the straw toss. And they, yes. and they, and they. Not only did they need this, they needed him to resemble James Bond, just so Red Grant could yes. really get a feel for what it'd be like to kill Sean Connery. <laughs> well, here, here's the kicker: they felt this actor under the mask looked too much like Sean Connery, so they put a mustache on him. <laughs> <laughs> so why they didn't just have him run through the maze without the mask? I, 
I don't know. <laughs> but, so but I like how everybody's just done and walks up to the mansion. Like, all right. Take five, take, guys. Take five, guys. We'll reset. We'll reset. Who's going to be the next one? <laughs> uh. So here we have the opening title sequence, and this one does not open with a... Uh, it opens up the theme again. Yeah, but no lyrics. Um... The the song they they didn't quite uh, nail this till Goldfinger with the there is lyrics to the song but it doesn't play till later in the film. Is it just me or is the scene somewhat suggestive in nature? No, it's just you. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) All I see are just flashy names. When you (laughs) when you can't find a white wall to project things on, I feel like you know scantily clad belly dancing women are like the next best option. Did uh, I have a question. Did any of you watch these with your parents growing up? I watched a lot of these with my parents growing up. Yes. yes. And I, I had a friend of mine comment that uh, to me that he felt very uncomfortable watching these opening credit monologues with like his dad and stuff because of the suggestive nature of them. Did you guys ever feel that? Uh, no, I never really had that issue. Honestly, usually when I watch these, I skip this sequence. You know, it, it's, it doesn't relate to the story and... I know the songs by heart anyway, so I said, "Okay, let's get to the movie." When I when I watched these as a when I was younger, it's mainly because they just come on TV for Bond marathons, so I just be I just kind of jump into it already, so I never really. I mean, the later ones like the the Roger Moore when they get to uh, Spy Who Loved Me get a bit more risque with them, but this one's very very tame. Spy Who Loved Me actually, I never really that's um that for me it's real like it's. It's not necessarily my favorite Bond movie, but it's very high for me. It'd be, it probably is my like top top three Bonds movie, just because it's gonna. It feels like everything I everything what what I want in a Bond movie essentially, and um, I watched that one a lot. And I really it ne- no the the title sequence never really. Now I now recognize it as more maybe risque, but I never really thought about it that way when I was young. I was just excited because it, Roger Moore just blink, jumped off the cliff. <laughs> if you if you uh, if you blink, you'll miss side nipple. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you gotta be careful with that one. It's actually interesting. Brandon and I were actually Brandon and I were having a conversation where we both kind of agreed that, you know, whether it's the best or not, if you want to think of an iconic, you know, what one movie would you show people to say this is James Bond? At least in my opinion, you know, The Spy Who Loved Me would probably be the one. That it pretty much does everything you want a Bond film to do at at least a certain level of quality, and really, is there's nothing wrong with it. No, not at all. In the same sense that Scott, how you argue, like Finding Nemo's objectively yes. the perfect Pixar movie in terms of story and what they've the the overall kind of theme that they've run with in their exactly storytelling yeah oh, can, you read my stuff I do <laughs> but yeah I can get I can get behind that in far, as far as Bond movies go I mean I, I do because I really love The Spy Who Loved Me I think it yeah. I think it does just that it, it does everything that you would expect a Bond movie to do and it does it well as opposed to you know too campy or too serious it, it, uh, it's a lot of fun I mean if with, in terms of directors if if you're looking for in the older Bond films uh, a bigger, more out there Bond, you go for the Lewis Gilbert films. And then if you're looking for a little bit more serious, more espionage Bond, I would highly recommend uh, Terrence Young's. And if you Jason want incomprehensible Bonds, you go for Mark Forrester's. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And if you want just awful, 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 you go for uh, Lee Tamori. Is that his name? Uh, who? who? Who did Die Another Day? Lee oh, Tama- Lee Tamahori. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, close enough. Yes. Uh, 
I, like, now, is, is this actor supposed to vaguely resemble like evil James Bond or something? Like evil big James Bond, like eight Peter Lorre or something. Yeah, he <laughs> looks like a skewed. He doesn't really look like Sean Connery, but it's sort of a skewed. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's just me. And that's uh, Jerry from Jerry's Game in the Pixar shorts, I believe that he's playing against. <laughs> <laughs> he's playing against himself. Uh. More exciting than the Super Bowl, it's the chess tournament. They do things different in Russia. Oh, Black loses. I had 50 bucks on this game. Spectre always wins. <laughs> Good, good show. Good, good show. <laughs> I felt like I knew this actor from somewhere when I went back through these. Like, oh, man, he's so distinguished. You know, he looks so familiar. It was this movie. I, uh, And I, then I thought he had a bigger part than he does. But he pops up here and then later on for a scene. But the, uh, he's just got a look to him that makes you think. I don't know. And he's somebody. The, and here's the introduction of our... Other main villain played... Well, uh, wait, wait. Getting ahead of myself. Brandon, you take over. The evolution of the piranhas <laughs> to show up later in films. <laughs> I wonder if those uh, are the piranhas. Huh? I wonder if those are the same piranhas that eventually show up in You Only Live Twice. Yeah, I, that's what I'm wondering right here. Right, yeah. I mean, they never really do find the chronology of these films. And they could just be like a month apart. <laughs> um... In the book of From Russia With Love, the, uh, the enemy was just the Soviets... Um, it was not Spectre or Smirsh as it is in the uh, in the Schmirch. books, um, but they didn't want to go attacking other countries here, so they transformed it to Spectre and but made one of their agents Russian. Huh. But we have uh, Rosa Klebb here, who's very notable for being parodied in Austin Powers. Just but, the same with Blofeld. <laughs> Yes, and Blofeld here, um, which, I, in my opinion, I think Blofeld um, was always better when you never saw his face. Just like Dr. Claw. Just like Dr. <laughs> Claw. That's exactly what I was thinking. He was much cooler before he became Rupert Everett. That's what I, yeah, that's what I was going for. <laughs> as much as I like Rupert Everett. Yeah, but we, oh. yeah. Do- yeah. Dr. Claw origins I did not need. So. <laughs> uh a bit of trivia that I'm sure anyone listening to this probably already knows, but just in case, uh, Brandon mentioned the novel from Rush with Love. The One of the reasons this series catapulted to the top of the pop culture stratosphere was uh, John F. Kennedy gave an interview to, I, I think, Time Magazine, but don't quote me on that. I, I believe so, and, yeah. Yes, and he named From Rush with Love as one of his ten favorite books. Yeah, correct. I, yeah, I knew that as well. Yeah, that's like a big reason why they made this movie, which was like yes. a, how I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> And this was the last movie he saw before he died, I believe. Wow, that I did not know. It was also the last movie uh, Ian Fleming uh, saw of the Bond series before he died. Hmm. I always feel like I'm so like in touch with the Bond movies because I call uh, Albert Broccoli a cubby. Oh yeah, I feel like we all know that nickname, and so it's like you feel. Like... I keep calling him that in my in my essays, and I'm like, I, I don't know the guy. <laughs> but you want to call him Cubby? It's like you're like one to one with him. Make up my own big Al. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, they, their last name they they uh, invented broccoli. Really? And that's yes. Their last name is what you think it is. It's, it's thank you. Wow. Yeah. Because I so, like broccoli. Oh, Mr. Bigglesworth gets a treat. 
Which will have a longer uh, legacy, Broccoli or Bond? Stay tuned. I'm going to guess Broccoli. Yeah, VeggieTales is pretty popular. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did not I did not uh, notice that brief reference to Dr. No. Uh, th- there are bits and pieces of continuity. Whoa! Continent. Okay, never mind. Not, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you guys were all obviously distracted. Um, but no, there, there's bits and pieces of continuity in these films. It's it's mm-hmm. not something they live and die by, but just enough to sort of remind you that this isn't sort of a shared universe. Well, Doctor No through uh, Diamonds Are Forever share a continuity, yeah, somewhat. Even though Bond and uh, Blofeld meet each other and you only live twice, and then meet each other for the first time again in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Well, they were only hanging out for like 10 minutes and you only lived twice. Yeah. Oh, they got a good look at each other. I don't know. <laughs> Bond was still like half Asian in that movie. So. <laughs> Wait a minute. This is true. You're not Japanese anymore. <laughs> and you also look nothing like you used to. I'm confused. You also look your... like you used to. Where's your scar? Uh. <laughs> anyway. Um, and Ro- Rosa Club is actually the first um, lesbian character in the series as well. As we'll oh. see in a little bit, there's there's yeah. hints to it, but the awkward moment. <laughs> well, the first in what two movies? I mean, oh, I <laughs> I, I think I missed my favorite line when uh, the helicopter arrives and uh, this guy I can't remember his name comes up. He's like, "Welcome to Spectre Island." Just kind of <laughs> made me laugh. They have vacations. We, we never see Spectre Island again. You know, I bet if there really was a Spectre Island, my 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 wife would make me vacation there. Oh, look! Can we look at these training exercises? There's a guy <laughs> with a flamethrower, and there's people like running past it. It's like look, what? it's it, a uh, man with it, the golden it, gun foreshadowing in the background. There you go. See? Hey, look, karate. Hmm. I, I stand corrected. I might actually want to go to Spectre Island. I, I heard Spectre Island is still running. Actually, I hope it has awesome. a song that goes do 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 Spectre Island. <laughs> I like wow. this right here. As yeah, he's 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 a man. All right, that's for sure. And here's here's the patented way to test. Give a good look. Brass knuckles. Well, yeah, exactly. Pull out the knuckle dusters. <laughs> Nothing. No. Yeah. Very tiny For nipples. A man. He's fit enough. Very, very tiny nipples, by the way. Just saying. <laughs> the Blu-ray has given me this this acute observation. That perspective. Yeah. 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 I like how her way to test things is just like it's almost as if you go to the car the car dealership and you just kick the tires like, good enough. That's how she bought the fish for Blofeld as well. She just punched each one of them with knuckle dusters and <laughs> uh, here's th- our here's another Bond girl with a dub voice. So many of those in the Connery days. Is this um? How, do you know the locations that this film was shot on? Uh, I, Istanbul, I think, was one of them. Excuse me. Oh, here we go. Filming. Most of the, Constantinople. Most of the film was yeah. <laughs> Istanbul, not Constantinople. It, uh, <laughs> most of the film was set in Istanbul. Yeah, and locations include. Okay, yeah. So yeah, it looks like a lot of it was. Yeah, actually. No Russia, though. Yeah. I think did any I mean I, I know it gets for like shooting in the Kremlin, but was Red Heat the the, the Schwarzenegger Belushi movie the first movie to shoot anywhere in Russia? You know, post uh, during during or after the Cold War? That's a good question. 
Mm. One I can look. Because I remember when the movie came out, there was it was a big deal that they actually shot at the Kremlin for the the uh, the prologue, for lack of a better word. Um, horrible movie though. But oh yeah, no. no. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just Walter Hill doing Forty Eight Hours again. But with Jim Belushi. Yeah. Here comes our uh, scene where Rosa outs herself. And when you're in that kind of position of power, you really don't have to worry about, you know, outing yourself. No. Are there any other uh, lesbian or even... Uh, well, I know the, the assassins in Diamonds Are Forever are supposed to be gay, if I recall. Yes, uh, yes. and there's Brandon Pussy made Galore. A good, he made a, yeah, Pussy Galore, you made a... You made a uh, basically your own theory that she is a lesbian. Yeah. Well, I mean, she is in the book overtly, and she's sub through subtext in the movie. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Hmm. Those are some thick classes to make sure that she's on the list. <laughs> My God, it's like Coke bottles. Only three. <laughs> You're not here to ask questions. <laughs> I, I was in love. She's a looker. Oh, my God. Yeah. She is. She looks better with oh. her hair down, though. Most people do. <laughs> no, I, I was really never into, what's her name, Ursula Andress. But her, I'm actually pretty attracted to. Something I notice constantly when I watch Dr. No is that there is full frontal nudity in that movie. I don't when know she comes out of the cleansing? Yeah. They're, like when... It is just hardcore, like, right there. It's like, wow, that got by. All right. Different times. Before they cleaned it up, it probably looked a lot darker, and then through restoration process, it probably came out more. I guess because like the I remember watching that for like the first time in years, like in like the early two thousand. Like, wh- whoa, what? <laughs> I think yeah, my VHS copy when I got it in the early nineties uh, or around the golden night time, I remember seeing that and going like, what? <laughs> wow, you're right. We haven't seen Sean Connery yet. Yeah, he is just nope. not in this movie at all for a long this time. Is a, I mean, this one's very, you know, plot-driven and, you know, actually pretty complex. We're 18 minutes into this film, and we technically have not seen James Bond. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's the reason I think a lot of people admire this movie quite a bit, because of, you know, the strong narrative that's going on in it. But if they would have had their choice back in the day, well, I mean, without the, the Kennedy thing aside, they were really wanting Thunderball all the way till Thunderball. Wasn't that supposed to be the first one? I mean, it was supposed to be the first, the first one. one. It was supposed to be the second one. It was supposed to be the third one, and then finally, it was the fourth one. Why'd they choose Goldeneye or Goldfinger next <laughs> over? Um... Because uh, Thunderball is still in, in the courts. Oh, that's right. The old, the old, the old if you if you'll read my published article today, you'll find all about <laughs> the, the never say never again, again Thunderball. The whole I did, history I did like your last bit. Kevin McClory will not return. No, no yeah, he won't. That made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> funny. Uh, uh, officially since two thousand six. That uh, <laughs> that knife that knife wound is that uh, from is that from Doctor No? We're supposed to assume. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and this is nudie. this is Sylvia Trench. She's actually a carryover Bond girl, and um, the original plan for her was for, to have her go for five films, and uh, by the fifth one, she would be the full on Bond girl in action. She was supposed to be Bond's like main squeeze. And always like, where are you off to, James? And then finally, she gets to go on an adventure. But um, Goldfinger came, and the director said, nah, don't want that. And she was gone. 
Mm. So this actress thought she was going to be a big part of the series and was dropped at number three. That's a shame. Yeah. I thought an interesting idea would have been uh, in Tomorrow Never Dies, if Terry Hatcher's character would have been Sylvia Trench, that would have been really interesting because she's an ex-flame of Bonds in Tomorrow Never Dies that hadn't seen him for a while and that would have worked, actually. It, it would have worked. Tell me, James, do you still sleep with a gun under your pillow? <laughs> one of the reasons I, I like that movie a little bit more than most people is I like the idea of, you know, one of his random flames. What was that? I said, controlling the media. <laughs> uh, I'm a fan of the Brosnan films in general, actually. Yes, I, I am. I, I I, I like him as Bond, and I, I, liked, I liked those movies. Even The World Is Not Enough with Dr. Christmas Jones as a nuclear scientist, and even Die Another Day with that awful Madonna song. I enjoyed those movies. Well, I think, you know, I think World Is Not Enough is excellent, except for, you know, Christmas Jones. But there are plenty of Bond films that have lousy Bond girls, and I, I try not to hold that too much against the film. Um, I like the idea that all the Brosnan films, to a certain extent, well, the, the last three, GoldenEye is its own thing, are sort of like what if stories. What if Bond reunited with an old flame? You know, what if Bond actually fell in love with the Bond girl who turned out to be a villain? And then in Die Another Day, what if Bond was captured and disavowed? Um, and then, you know, the problem I have with, with Tomorrow Never Dies and Die Another Day is at the halfway point, they pretty much discard that plot. Yeah. Off in a very generic Bond teams up with a, you know, a, a female spy from another country and defeats the villain. And, from what I've always told, the original plan for Die Another Day was to bring Michelle Yao back. Really? Halle yeah, Berry. I, I do remember it, that, yeah. Yeah, it was a rewritten version of her character. And then Halle Berry won an Oscar. Did she win the Oscar at that point? Prior to, I believe. Uh, not not for that movie. It was for Monster's Ball. Not, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, she... She nominated for X-Men, but she didn't win. She, she won, and then suddenly <laughs> we need a drink spin-off series and all that stuff. <laughs> Uh, you know, I found funny about uh, the the Brosnan series is I was always more interested in the uh, B level Bond girl in his than the focus one. Yeah, I uh, like I like Xenia on a top a lot. I liked. Uh, I don't know about that. I, I like. Uh, is is uh, Natalia? Natalia. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I found on a top a little more colorful, memorable to me. Well, yeah. But then I also thought a villain too. I mean, it's kind of yeah. having it both ways in that one. Yeah. Well, and then I thought Terry Hatcher's character was a little more intriguing. Um, and then the villain girl in uh, Sophia Marcoso's character in Sorry. World Is Not Enough was more interesting than Christmas Jones. I think we can all agree on that. And uh, Die Another Day, I like Miranda Frost way more yes. than Jinx. Yes. Well, I so, would argue, I mean, not to get in too much of a squabble over this, that in you know The World Is Not Enough, that Sophia Marceau is the quote-unquote A-level Bond girl. That, you know, Christmas Jones is only there to have him someone to have sex with at the end of the movie because, of course, at the end, she turns out to be a villain and et cetera, et cetera. To, uh, to get back to promotional Love, yes. we have our first oh, Yes, Q, yes, this one. Our, few, our this first is, Q scene. Uh, this is our second Q scene. Se- sorry. Our um, well, this is where he gives them the suitcase that will pull into use for one whole scene, all the gadgets. But um, he <clears> was in Dr. No, but played by a different actor. And they went by his actual name, which is Major Boothroyd. <laughs> And uh, that guy didn't come back for this one, so they cast uh, Desmond Llewellyn, and the rest is history. But Q was in Doctor No. Interesting. 
I, which I, I like saying you better than Major Boothroyd easily. Yes, and I I always like Desmond Llewellyn throughout all of these movies. I was I'm glad that he was able to you know be in the majority of this series. It's it's a nice it's a nice presence he brings. I always thought it was really weird that he died in a car accident right after retiring. Yeah, it was like well that was horribly convenient. From a torpedo shot out of another car, no less. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and Aston Martin. <laughs> Aston Martin. Yeah, and you know, and through no real knowledge, you know, of him, you know, good, you know, about to die, he has a very somewhat touching farewell scene. And the world is not enough. Yes. You know, it's like they knew that. You know, at least the character wasn't coming back. Yeah, they gave him a great send off, and then yeah. he had his retirement boat that Bond blew up, which was unfortunate. Yeah. Um. Is <laughs> our money punny scene for the movie? Doesn't get Sean Connery's toupee looks great in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's not real hair. <gasps> what? Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> All of his actual hair is on his chest. Yes. And here's our title. They don't actually say it in this film, do they? In the song. No. Wow. Because I, I've always found it, you know, somewhat of a pet peeve when characters say the title of the movie in a very pronounced sense. And these films were always the primary offenders. You know, some you know, finding a way to insert a line like "Die another day" or "Tomorrow never dies" into the t- or, the world is not enough into the title, and or you know, a view to of... a kill. Yep. Exactly. Dance that might be the worst offender. Fire. <laughs> Here's our, our second uh, Bond airport scene. Um, they did this in Doctor No, and things went the wrong way for Bond. And here they go a little more correctly. It's just kind of funny when you watch them back to back. You notice they kind of follow. You know, Bond goes to. Airport meets up with contact, watches contact, and then checks his hotel room. But and who is that? This guy, that guy is never really was never really clear to me. I think he's just um, he's of the actual Russian Secret Service. Yeah, not not Smirch or Spectre. Not Smirch Spectre, but and they just kind of um, from what I gather, there's an agreement with uh, Kieran Bay, a character coming. Shortly, that he, they're allowed to just spy whatever they want, or okay, something. You can, you, you can answer. This is the question I've always had, and I never bothered to look it up. Smirsh and Spectre are just two names of the same organization. Yes, correct. One's the film version, one's the book version. Thank you. A Smirsh is the book, Spectre is the film. Yes, Smirsh oh, is okay. death. Means like pretty much death the spies. That's right. And then uh, Spectre is something something terrorist. Blah blah blah. <laughs> That was helpful. Thank one of those. It's, one of those things. <laughs> I think it's. Uh, oh god, I could look it up, but I don't feel like it. I also don't want to make noise in the keyboard. Yeah, sorry. Uh, um, right there, you can see it. But um, Terrence Chunk's goal in this film was to use, um, have minimal use of rear projection and try to use as much uh, real effects as possible. And it definitely shows, and I think that's why this one holds up pretty good. Yeah, I'd agree with that completely. Like the old ones. Uh, now, everybody's, uh, I assume everybody's watching this in the 185. I mean, is this 185 aspect ratio? Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. my monitor always messes this up. So, yeah. And the first, Thunderball was the first one to use scope, right? Yes, and that's the first one featuring Connery in uh, the gun barrel sequence because they went to that ah, uh, size picture and they had to refilm it. So had they not done that, we'd still be looking at Bob Simmons through Thunderball. 
I remember for some reason, and maybe you you know, I, I don't. Is there a reason the man with the golden gun was shot flat? It could uh, contain the nipples. <laughs> well, I mean, th- they were trying their best to put audiences to sleep, and that kind of... <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't... Um, I'm not sure why it was shot that way. Um, I, I haven't found anything regarding choices like that. Yes. This guy, um, he's kind of a tragic story of on the set. Uh, the actor is Pedro Armendariz, or is that how it's pronounced? Um, but he had cancer going into this and they moved all his scenes up to early shooting and he uh he was struggling throughout but he was trying to do it to leave his family with a little extra money and he ended up going into the hospital late in production and then just he smuggled a gun and shot himself in the heart oh god so the director and another crew member stood in for him in later scenes that needed reshot or weren't shot yet that's quite unfortunate wow yeah yeah yeah, he did it as a, um, I believe, a favor to Broccoli or Fleming. One of the two wanted him in the film, and he decided to do it. Because I, I like his character in this movie. He's, you know, he's just... Yeah, he's, uh, arguably, yeah, he's got sons everywhere. He's one of the second or third leads, arguably. Yeah, he's he's far more interesting than... Um, I, I like Jack Lord's Felix Leiter, but he's far more entertaining than Felix Leiter was in Dr. No, which they basically serve the same purpose. Yeah. yeah. Uh... Now, you might not know this. I mean, if, if he hadn't died, was he going to continue in later films? No. No, yeah, unless they go back to Istanbul. Yeah. They did, they did or Constantinople. Bring, they did kind of bring a character similar in For Your Eyes Only. The the uh, rival mob boss in For Your Eyes Only was very much trying to get that niche that he filled in this movie. And Which that movie is kind of a glorified remake of this. And this isn't you know, an obvious set here. Yep. That elevator <laughs> are, goes nowhere. There are no Here's where I, I think the score gets a little out. They didn't really have a handle on the score because it's a little outrageous in this scene. It is, because this is an extended scene of Bond sets up his hotel room. Checks for bugs. <laughs> I, I'm expecting, like, an explosion, but... Well, I think oh, it's... Whoa, action! The tip. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of the Bond films, you know, people wondered, you know, why was, you know, uh, Quantum of Solace so short? And without going into the film's relative quality, I think what they did is they just cut out all of these scenes where Bond randomly goes to a hotel and pretends to be undercover, but not really. Or he goes to a hotel and, you know, as you said, spends 20 minutes looking for bugs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, you know, Quantum of Solace, for better or worse, is sort of a Bond film, you know, as streamlined as you can possibly get with only the quote-unquote good parts. And. We'll, we'll get to that when we talk about Quantum of Souls oh, yeah. in a different commentary, but I like my Bond films because they're Bond films. I don't want to see well, the stripped-down versions of them. Uh, well, some of them could be shorter. I yeah, mean, there's I would, some that are long and I enjoy, but they do get ex- a bit of excess. Some uh, of them sit and hold off their their action beats to throw them all together at the end, which this film does, but it does it successfully. But a lot of them... Like, Live and Let Die holds off on some of its best stuff till way later in the film, and it feels like a little too much. And while it should be, you know, riveting and intense, it's just kind of like, okay, come on. 
Come I don't on. know. I feel like I could see, I could watch Jane Seymour predict fortunes all day in that movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> the ageless wonder. Or watch the random rookie agent miss. I don't know. I even want to go into that. <laughs> um. Well, no, I think you know because this is such an early picture and the Bond template hasn't been established yet. This is just you know just a spy film. Yeah. So there really is an expectation of nonstop action or giant set pieces, and and something that you know you mentioned in your, in your first couple essays and if you want to elaborate on it here that's great about how these are basically variations on you know Hitchcock films yes um they started out with you know they liked north by northwest and they wanted to recreate that and that's basically what they went for and it's the whole end of this film feels like a love letter to Hitchcock the way it transcends at the end but um that's basically they, they tried to get Cary Grant to play James Bond. Um, uh, they, James Mason was brought in to, to read for James Bond, but they wouldn't agree to multiple picture deals, and they wanted to make sure their Bond was you know the same face there. And uh, they also, I believe, Hitchcock was thought about when they were talking about what books to do for this film to direct, but they, he was never approached. It was just kind of like. Oh, we should have Hitchcock do commercial with love if we ever get to that. Huh. They called him on the they called him on the phone at one point and he was like, Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> Can Tippy Tippy Hedron be in it, pretty please? Yes. He's, he, they, <laughs> he wanted to play Blofeld and they said no. Hey oh <laughs> I'd watch uh, Alternate this... Universe movie that has Alfred Hitchcock directing and starring in the Bond movie. Oh, that'd be great. That would be fantastic. Jimmy Stewart is is um it's Felix Leiter. <laughs> supporting role. <laughs> uh, uh, this woman, um, notable, she will play the dancer at the beginning of Goldfinger in the next film. Huh. All right. And I don't know if the characters are, are connected, but um, she's the one who lures Bond to her hotel room and he sees the guy behind in her uh, eyelid or her eyeball. Huh. And she throws the. Is it a fan into the tub and electrocutes the guy? Electric, yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah, but she's the she's the woman in that scene. Huh. Do we see more of this character at all in this movie? Not really. Um, no. So she's basically he's like, oh, okay, get naked. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I, I mean, I guess there's no unless unless just some long last deleted scenes involving this one random character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is it. She's she's here and I think gone because the next time we see, uh. Kieran Bay with a uh, woman is when they go to the gypsy camp. Yeah. Fade out. Faded. No time for mm-hmm. no time for wipes in Bond movies. What happened here last night? Looks like someone shaving went a little too explosive. Boss is kind of man. Sucks. I still have my hanky. And this this film truly is, uh, I mean, Connery's good in later films, but this is the last, like, greatness of you Connery. Th- you think? This is where he wants to be here, he's loving the material, they're making a good movie, and he's just, he nails it. He gets it a little bit back with Thunderball, but, I mean, the Dr. No in this, he's just, he's the best part. So you, some of the and I know, because I know you, you and Scott aren't as big as fans of Goldfinger as I am. Exactly, or you know, many people are, but you don't think Connery's. You don't think Connery's stand up and. Uh... 
I, I think he, I feel like he's uh, Sean Connery playing James Bond rather than just watching James Bond. Like, it's there, but I, I feel a lot of it, his best comes from Terrence Young. He gets him, and it's it's been told that apparently Terrence Young taught uh, Connery his swagger or whatnot. Uh, I, I think, you know, I agree with Brandon in regards to Goldfinger that there's a certain, certain self-awareness to his performance. I mean, something... He's a little distant. It's I, I this is an extreme comparison, so bear with me. But something like you know uh, Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura when Nature Calls, where it's sort of him doing people doing Ace Ventura, if that makes sense. As opposed to okay, yeah, as opposed to you know him being you know playing that character. That was that's a huge reach, but I like it. <laughs> okay. yeah. well, I don't you, I don't necessarily agree because I really like Sean Connery and Goldfinger. Well, I, I like Goldfinger. If a lot, you just so. pop in Gold, if you just pop in Goldfinger, you're not going to see it. But if you watch them back to back, and then Thunderball after Goldfinger, you're going to see it. Uh, I I agree in that I think Thunderball is, is a superior picture, and I think along with this, I would argue that that for much with love and Thunderball are the two great Connery Bonds. Uh, I think we can all agree that Diamonds Are Forever is terrible. It's it's not, yeah, it's not a good movie. Somebody <laughs> who looks like Sean Connery showed up to play Bond in that movie. Yes, because he's terrible in it. It's it's a it's not a, and that's saying something when you're coming after You Only Live Twice, which is like is that's that's more goofy than bad. It's just like, I, I find a lot of fun in You Only Live Twice. Yeah, like, that's I mean, what I'm saying. It's, it's, more, it's false, not really but... it's not really a bad movie. It's just a really goofy one. There's yeah. there's entertainment value to compensate for its shortcomings more so than Diamonds of Forever, and which racism. there's not a lot of there there. And racism. Oh yeah, even by you know the stereotypical standards of this series, incredibly sexist and racist, mm-hmm. o- almost laughably so. Um, what, Scott, are you trying to say that um, men don't come first? <laughs> uh, you've met my daughter. Do I ever come first? <laughs> the um, yeah. just to, because um, you only the twice came up. The something I I noted about that movie is because Gross Point Blank, the film with John Cusack, that's one of my favorite movies. Big fan of that film. Big big yes. big fan. And um, yeah, you, uh, you only live twice has that exact same death, like the exact same assassination yes. attempt in that movie. And I remember watching that for like the first time in a long time, and I was like, oh, Gross Point Blank got this from that movie. That's interesting. <laughs> It's a cool death. It is. It's it a is. cool idea. And the death I'm referring to is the, you know, there's like a, a wire that's hung over a person's head when like a fluid's kind of dripped down that wire and attempted to kind of poison that person. And in Gross well, Point Blake, it's actually like a, it's like a small camera, right? Yeah, there's a small camera so you can kind of watch to make sure that it goes in, which doesn't work properly. The subject's moved. Yeah. No, this really is a more of a traditional, you know, espionage picture. I mean, we are, you know, 37 minutes in, and there really hasn't been much action, as you would, you know. I mean, we're still in a single, you know, two deaths, basically, none of which are particularly grotesque. I know there's a pretty big action sequence coming up relatively soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, this is, you know, a more of a, a, you know, a hardcore espionage film rather than an action spectacular. And I think that's one of the reasons that people, you know, without judgment, gravitate to Goldfinger, because that was really the first one. I mean, really, Goldfinger is the first modern action picture as we know it, I would argue. 
I, uh, I need to. <laughs> my timelines are in front of me, but um, yeah. I, yes. Well, did, did Scott? We we talked before, but you said North by Northwest was the first action pictures we know it. I think I refer to that in terms of the first modern action sequence. Oh, action oh, sequence. Crop, right. The crop duster chase scene. Um, what about like Seven Samurai? When did that come out? Oh, I forgot about foreign influence. I'm a xenophobic jingoistic. <laughs> um, <laughs> perhaps. Let me rephrase that. In terms of American, mostly American filmmaking, I know Hitchcock is British, and so are these films technically. Um, or spaghetti or westerns. Like oh, Missouri, I guess. fine. I give up. <laughs> Here's the subject before I look worse. Okay. Uh, here we go. The the famous um, Kieran Bay narration sequence. <laughs> As you'll see, you can close your eyes and watch and just listen to the scene. He'll explain it for you. Oh, a pillow. That's nice. Nothing like a good dance to get uh, Sean Connery's attention. He's really attentive, by the way. If you look, took a look at him in that moment, his eyes were uh, wide open. Um, his toupee lifted. <laughs> Did he have a toupee in Doctor No as well? Was it he's always? always yeah, he's always had a toupee. He's been bald since like he was nineteen years old. <laughs> like, I'm probably not even exaggerating that much. He, he's been bald for a very long time. <laughs> It wouldn't work in today's business. They'd kick you out. Or you just have to arrive already wearing the toupee and never tell anybody. (laughs) That is a move. Okay, now you're just showing off. Connery is amused. So is um, Horatio Sands' uncle over there, too, next to him. (laughs) 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 Ah! Murder! I like how he had the other knife ready. He's like, well, do I got to do it again? <laughs> Storm the gypsy camp. <laughs> that that takes effort. Now, this seems like it could be like the first large-scale cat fight on screen. I think that might be true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're about... This is basically what kicks off the second act of the picture. Yes. Uh you know, like, a, you know, it's, 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 there are a lot of action pictures that have a reputation for being nonstop action that actually are not, you know, I, I even something like Rambo first blood part two, Rambo doesn't kill anybody for the first 37 minutes of the picture. Um, even Rambo part one, especially people forget that, you know, there's very little killing in that movie. <laughs> one confirmed death and maybe a couple car crashes where they might not walk away. Yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose the book where he kills everybody. Um, but again, something like this, which, you know, we're well into this, the second act of the picture and the first major action scene is about to start. Um, and you're not talking about the cat fight. <laughs> I gotta say, I was staring at that dancer for various reasons, mainly because I was looking go. to oh. see if there's going to be text on their on her body at some point, but there wasn't any. <laughs> and then here, here Connery's like, tells Kieran Bay, like, yeah, what I'm feeling, like, okay, I, I get it. 
The feeling in between my loins will tell me what's going on. <laughs> Thank you, exposition. And now Connery's like, I, I got it from here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here, yeah, there you go. Yep. Yeah. I get it. Two girls fighting. Yeah. Uh-oh. Taking the gloves off. Let's just throw them on the ground. This is kind of gratuitous. No. no. <laughs> Who you get? Red or green? Well, really, you know, we've we have one guard that's been murdered, so you know there's an attack coming. Yet they're they're taking the time out from before the attack to show what's basically a as you know a full length cat fight. Yeah, but little little do they know they're both winners. <laughs> no, no, the we're winners. Audiences everywhere. <laughs> Including all those people around that table, like Uncle. Oh, Bruce. Should we describe what we're seeing right now for the uh, people listening? No, that'd be that'd be that'd be. Uh... There's a lot of sweat. <laughs> that'd be like reading Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> no, we at Out Now pride ourselves on our quality commentaries that don't rely on describing exactly what's going on on screen. <laughs> oh, Ooh, more murder. Oh, the I'm horses! Get out of the way! It's the horses. I'm not sure how the horses were right there. Apparently, they don't short, shoot horses, do they? Oh, his gun jammed. Oh. Uh, nope. Uh, see, there was a body uh, double there. Yeah, yeah. Now, is that because he had already died, or because he was he too full to stunt? Uh, I don't know there. Now that's just silly. Who brings the arrows? And let me paint my arm real quick. <laughs> I love the bright red blood. I always have. Uh, you know, 60s, 70s blood. Yeah, shot in uh, Technicolor. Yes, it looks like paint, but it's so gruesome. Shoot your neck. Judo chops. <laughs> now, so far, I, I, I might have missed that. Sean Connery. Oh, wait, there we go. Oh, he missed. No, he shot somebody he, earlier, though. Oh, okay, he did shoot somebody? Okay. And there's oh, his protector. You got to give props to this this awesome soundtrack that we're listening to right now. You know, for all the, the, the what have you about people talking about how cold-blooded and, and violent Connery was, he, I don't think he killed any more people than Roger Moore or Timothy Dalton or Pierce Brosnan. I think Timothy Dalton's like the most ruthless one of all of them. He's the most ruthless. I, you know, Brosnan has the biggest body count just by virtue of by the time his films came along, you had, you know, you characters yeah, yeah. And shooting the crap out of a whole room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, looking back, Brosnan was probably the lightest in the cold-blooded kills department, even though he had a big one in World is Not Enough. Well, he has a, another one. Well, he has one in Tomorrow Never Dies, and there's a scene in the action climax where he very, you know, just coldly picks up a machine gun and just lays waste to an entire room. Uh, I always remember that moment because, again, it's, it's, it's for a film that has a reputation as a somewhat lighter Bond, there are some very dark Bond-centric moments in it. Which one? Tomorrow Which Never Dies? Yeah. Oh, I think, I think it's I think, fairly dark. I mean, Fair enough. I mean, yeah, like, um, Jonathan Price gets horrifically murdered by a giant drill. and yeah, but it's awesome. Yeah, you know, like stop, but like he stabs him in the in the knee, and like yeah. 
Um, and like Ricky Jay gets shot in the face. Oh yeah, that was the mo- that was the one moment I was referring to. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, you know, a full out out and out execution. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hate the scene in World's Not Enough when she's he's chasing her up the stairs and she says, you know, she basically says, "You can't do it, ha ha ha," which in my mind completely takes away the power of him eventually killing her. You know, now that you've established that it's a giant character arc thing, it's not just a character beat. It's in my mind much le- much less potent because you had to underline it. Uh, I think the film is significantly better, if only for not without that one line. But anyway, action scene's over. Uh, Which James is a solid Bond's action scene, by the way. That was like, I mean, it's lengthy, it's fun. There's a lot of things happening. Yeah. Red Grant's in the background. I mean, there's a there's a lot going on, but it's also confidently made and everything. It's a good action sequence. Um, it's certainly the what I call the biggest scale action sequence of the series so far. So if I recall, Doctor No. And, you know, Brandon's seen this more recent than I have. But, you know, you have a couple, you know, a little bit of a car chase here, a couple fights here. You know, he, he shoots the guy in his in his hotel room. But even the big showdown with Dr. No, it doesn't, you know, it basically he sabotages the place, knocks a couple people over, and then kills Dr. No. Yeah, yeah he, just, he just basically runs around punching people in the science room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'd hardly call Dr. No an action movie, really. I mean, yeah. Uh, and again, it's what we were saying earlier, it's sort of the, the gradual you know, to, you know, Goldfinger, which would become, you know, at least in this series, you know, the first out-and-out pure action picture. But even there, but, you know, But even not... there, it stops for the second yeah. hour. And even there, during the big finale, he's chained to a bomb while everybody else is engaging in the action. Well, he does, he does fight odd, odd job. job battles. Yes, he does. Yeah. yeah, that's his one, you know, that's his big action moment. That's one of the reasons I think I like Thunderball. That's the first, he's far more... Uh, uh, Active. Active in that film, I would well, I find it, it, it passive in Goldfinger. The, the end battle in Thunderball is insanely impressive. Just all yes. underwater work they did, it just even though it's long and a little bit confusing, you just gotta kind of marvel at it for the time, especially. I'm looking forward to watching Thunderball again because it's not one that I I don't dislike it. It's just that I I like these first three movies. I like them these first three movies more than Thunderball, but I haven't watched Thunderball as much as them. So I'm hoping that I'll come to appreciate it more with the next time I watch it. But I do find it long. It's... Yeah, it was it was the first over two-hour Bond film. Yeah, it's like 130 minutes or something like that. Yes. And it was, if I recall, the last... The, excuse me, Goldfinger was the last one to be under two hours until The Tomorrow Never Dies, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I and I remember being right shocked here. when the running time came out and it was under two hours. Yeah, that sounds about right. And here we got a cool little scene with the sniping. Yeah, I like yeah. the scene quite a bit. I like the again, I like the use of this supporting character. It's, it's, it's I, I can see this movie as I mean, going back, you, you remember a lot of scenes from Connery's movies, and then you watch this, and you're like, oh, they were all in here. Because this scene's memorable. The the gypsy camp, the the crop, oh, not the crop duster, but the helicopter, the train with Red Grant. I mean, it's got a lot of notables. Um, this is actually, I believe, a cubby broccoli film that this uh, painting is for. Really? Really? I like that they've switched sniping the position. 
but James but Bond is much taller than the uh, yeah. the other two. <laughs> I think he's yeah he's wanting to let him get his little revenge. I just think it's interesting that this is another example of you know here and there where you don't have Bond be the one to commit the assassination or the out and out murder. You know, for example, in the beginning of Goldeneye, where you have you know basically innocent scientists being shot in the face, and it's always Sean Bean to do that does the killing in the opening scene of that. Well, you know, Pierce Brosnan sort of stands there and, you know, looks very resolute about it, but he's not the one that does the killing. Yeah, actually, yeah. that's, it's, it's, it, it, yeah, it always does do feel kind of cold in the beginning of the whole time. Um, it's like, wow, I just took him out. Yeah. Okay, this upcoming here is uh, one of the most important scenes in Bond history. So now you've built it up. Yes. Um, do you, do you, does anybody know why? No, I don't. I'm curious. It involves seduction, I believe. Oh. Well, this is this scene is used for every Bond audition. Oh, okay. That's really? anybody who's read for Bond does this scene. I did not know that. Including turning on the bathtub and then not turning it off later. The what? <laughs> He turns on the water in the bathtub, and then he goes to make love with yeah, the agent later. It's, it's but crucial. They never turn off the it's bathtub. crucial. They have to. <laughs> but I believe you can find James Brolin uh, doing this scene in an audition for uh, For Your Eyes Only. Huh. I have to look that one up. Is this the scene they have Sam Neill doing on the Living Daylights disc? Uh, I'm not sure which one. They removed that quickly, didn't they? They did. It's on. I think it's on my DVD. I on one of the DVDs, they brought it out and then they 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 got rid of all the copies and reissued it without that scene. Fascinating. I did not know that. Uh, I mean, I've seen. I you know, I bought the very first ones that MGM put out back you know, in the heyday of you know the first you know the the beginnings of DVD you know nineteen ninety nine two thousand or whatever. Um, and then you know I, I traded them up when the Fox stuff all came out. Ooh, nudity. Yep, yep. Yes. Wow. Anyway. Earn that PG. <laughs> <laughs> well, my disc just froze. Is that because of a layer break? Ah. So you have Blu-rays. So you don't have to worry about layer breaks. Nope. <laughs> yep, this, yep. Is the, this is the exact moment of the scene that they auditioned for. Yeah, I just found some on YouTube. We'll probably link them in the show notes. Oh, yeah, send it to me. Did Woody Allen have to audition with this scene for Casino Royale? Woody, well, well, now that we've <laughs> been properly introduced to it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should see with my shirt on. <laughs> I've actually never seen that one. And thanks to Brandon's essay, I don't think I ever will. Oh, don't waste your time. <laughs> It's probably like a highlight oh, reel there, on YouTube. There, there was if, if my uh, introduction was confusing, uh, it came from this scene right here where she says her mouth is uh, too big or whatnot, and Sean Connery says, "Well, big enough for me, that is." Oh, innuendo! That seems to have a subtext. Yeah, it's because yeah. he wants to get a nice dinner with her afterwards, and he wants to know how big of a sandwich he should order. Well, good for she him. He can take the big bites. 
<laughs> or maybe it's coming. Yeah. And here we have, um, I don't know, this may be the, the first instance of a sex tape in a film. That I know of. Oh, well, I don't know. Peeping Tom was in 1960. Was he filming people? Uh, he was filming people. I don't know. If, I mean, he was filming the murders. I don't think he was filming he, sex. He wasn't filming sex. He was just filming yeah. murders. I haven't seen that in a really long time. That's an interesting movie. I guess it is. The camera's a knife. Uh, the Rosa Club Private Collection. <laughs> Volume 8, 007. Uh, Yeah, we have. The, that's why I was asking about locations because you have these shots and you have the stuff in the background and it, like it looks good. It doesn't look like you know obvious matte paintings or anything like that. It looks like they're there, which they apparently are. So. Follow now, the way of my sunglasses. You wear the sunglasses at night. Or at least indoors. <laughs> now, this no. is apparently a scene where uh, Grant oh, saved Bond's, Bond's life again, but I don't grasp it from it. I don't know what he means by that signal. It might be a. I think the sunglasses represent his penis. Ah. <laughs> Go in to her. They're over there. <laughs> uh, look out, Stanley Tushy's trying to kill you. <laughs> Uh, that's not how you're supposed to use the gun, man. <laughs> so, Brandon, if I may ask, I mean, you've, you've, I, I, I'm a couple behind on publishing, but you've at least watched The Living Daylights up to this point. I don't know if you've, have you watched License to Kill yet? Yes. I, oh. uh, next up for me is Goldeneye. Ah. Um, where, where would you rank, uh, the, the female lead in this film in terms of the Bond girls? Um, she's on, she's probably in the middle somewhere. Mm. She'd definitely be, um, not, not one of the lowest ones. She, uh, of the Connery films, she's definitely up there in the tops. Um. No, I mean, it, it's, she's one of the ones that's, you know, by virtue, because the plot's really as much about her as it is about him to a certain extent. Yes, so yes. she's very involved in the plot, but she's also, she doesn't do much in terms of being very active. Yeah. 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 One of the, one of the weakest points of the film, which 
maybe is noticeable upon multiple viewings is that they could have done a whole lot more uh, with some intrigue with her regarding her allegiance to Bond, whether it's true or not, and kind of play with it, but they just kind of have her fawn over him. Do you know if that's yeah. in the book at all? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm, the only book I've actually read is Casino Royale, mm-hmm. but um, going over the book synopsis and stuff, I didn't see any of that. But it would have been far more interesting if you... If, hey, maybe she's saying, you know, just kind of playing with it, but they don't. She sleeps with him one time, and she's all about him. That's the, the magic spell. Well, I think one of the one of the consequences of this being a, a quote unquote espionage film is it kind of lacks a, a somewhat central, colorful villain throughout, especially you know as this the series is known for. I mean, even Doctor No, you don't meet him till the third act, but he's if I recall, he's referenced at least for the after maybe the first act. You know, he's pretty much referenced through most of the film, one way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a he's a mysterious in the shadows person, yeah. whereas. Uh, here we get our characters, and then they immediately hang in the in the background. I mean, you have your, you know, one of your main villains, Robert Shaw, that runs around saving Bond. You know, it's not exactly going to strike fear in the hearts of moviegoers everywhere. Um, but again, it's 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 just a contrast from, you know, the the Goldfinger character in the next film, which of course set the tone for the rest, where you had these larger than life villains that more or less dominated the picture. Um, where there was, you know, Goldfinger or Largo or, uh, you know, going on Blofeld, obviously. Stromberg. Indeed, Stromberg. And I like Zach. Uh, Dax, is it from Moonraker? Moonraker, it's, um, what is it? Uh, Hugo Drax. Hugo Drax, yeah. I, I liked him. He was very... No, he, he's pretty good. Low. He's very underrated. I think, Moon, well, Moonraker to me is underrated as, as in general. Oh, yeah. Uh, I watched the more ones about three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked how much I enjoyed Moonraker. It's a fun movie. It, well, it also like got very, fairly dark. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a dark and violent James Bond film that happens to have about ten minutes set in space at the end. Well, the first three quarters of the film could be one of the best Bond films of all time, and then it doesn't finish out too strong, but it's not horrible. Yeah. Um. And you know, this is something you've mentioned, Brandon, in the in the essays, and. In that, you know, people bag on Moonraker because it's a science fiction film when, in fact, you know, the first few Bond films are Hitchcock, you know, Live and Let Die is exploitation, and yeah, so forth yeah. and so forth. You know, I think if there is a theme to your essays that I've picked up on is that you're trying to take these films out of the somewhat self-imposed vacuum that people put them in. Um, yeah, that's, and, it's, yeah. And, you that's know, you've fair. discussed the, you know, the, what they were, what they were referencing, what they were you know, what they were homaging and what they were, you know, they weren't just this own, this series that existed entirely within itself. Yeah, Yeah. I'm trying to show that they never just, like, ran out of ideas and keep trying to pull from something. They always pulled from something. They did find their own niche from, you know, Goldfinger to You Only Live Twice, and that would be repeated, but they were always borrowing from something. And three out of Moore's first four films were borrowing from something. The only original one was Spy Who Loved Me. Um, Hold on, I love this line right here. Day and night. (laughs) Go on about the mechanism. (laughs) It just kills me. (laughs) Smoking that pipe is bad for the electronics, M. (laughs) It's also bad for his health. 
Scott, bear Scott, with me on this for a second. Okay. So. I'm back. Okay. Sounds good. Um, yeah, that sounds clear. Okay. It was feedbacky. Oh. No, it's fine. Okay. See, I, I don't know if Money Penny wants Bond or just is envious of his endeavors. <laughs> Where where would you what do you what do you think's more likely that they had a thing once, or it's it, it never happened but there's always that hint of it. It's office flirtation. So you'd ever think there was like an early time when they no may have done something. I no no I have a tough time believing he I mean I don't know I think he always you know the idea of Bond knowing that certain you know because they were working together all the time that it was somewhat. You know, he was even he was smart enough to know that would be a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you know, someone that you know specialized in very impersonal relationships would know not to be in a relationship with somebody who he already had a personal relationship with. How frequently is Lois Maxwell in the Bond films? Is she in a good majority of them? She was uh, uh, Money Penny for twenty three years and fourteen films. Well, there you go. What was her last one? Was it a View to uh, a Kill? A View to a Kill. I'm excited to read your take on A View to a Kill because that is a movie that I cannot handle very well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it's a Mendelssohn family classic. (laughs) (laughs) He and the the kids and, of of course, the wife sit around the the fireplace and and just put that one on and dance dance into the fire. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Sometimes they act out scenes, and I'll tell you what, Scott is a fantastic mayday. (laughs) <laughs> i'll come I over and do my walking i can come over and do my walking at the mendelson home then <laughs> <laughs> we're going on the san francisco the bridge it's gonna collapse <laughs> wow <laughs> that's the one word i can always do in walking everything else is you know 50 50 i'm better with uh christopher lloyd one words are, are good for me oh it's uh, <laughs> Marty. Then I can't. I have to stop. All right. Time. Now they just stole the microfilm or lector, lector. But um, after you know, after a giant explosion, the embassy. Yes. Yeah. So much for being low key. Oh, here's a question: Has anyone played the Forbush Love Love game? Yes, I put it on the uh, PSP version, not the full console version. Okay, yeah, good. I think I rented it very briefly for the Nintendo sixty for the GameCube. Uh, GameCube would be GameCube, be yes. On any of those, uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's... the um, it the, yeah. So and after, I believe it was after it was after Nightfall. It was after. Oh, I lost track. After World's not enough. I think there's like everybody. <laughs> What was that one that they made? It was like a third. It was they they stepped third away from or nothing. They stepped away from the first person games which they made, and they they made one that was like third person. That was, that was Tomorrow Never Dies was third person. Okay, um, so there was a okay, but then after so I, but after at, be, the ones that weren't like devoted to like an actual movie, there was one like everybody does. What is it? I don't know. I think it was like everybody. Yeah, with with William Defoe and yeah. uh, God, who else was in that? That doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, 
But yeah, then so they made um uh, they adapted from Rush of Love as a video game, which yes. I thought was pretty cool. They had a likeness of Sean Connery. It was for PS2 and it was Sean Connery's the... final performance as James Bond. Yeah, James yeah, Bond. Correct, yeah. His final performance as anything, if I recall. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was after. Uh, it was after. LXG. Yeah. Does anyone know what happened to him, by the way? Sean Connery. He goes to tennis matches. I mean, I, really? He's been seen in public. Yeah, he was recently seen at. Uh, I don't follow tennis, but a tennis match. Yeah, the Andy Murray win for the Olympics and also the U.S. Open. That's good because I, I had, frankly, I had heard rumblings that he was really sick, and that's why he disappeared from public view. I'm glad he he's really place. skinny. Everything or oh, nothing. Oh. That's the game. Oh, that's right. And then at Heidi Klum. <laughs> Does he still have his beard? Yes. Cool. I was go- I was wondering that because I just saw I was watching the Indiana Jones marathon, so I saw Sean Connery in Last Crusade. And I was like, where is he? What is he doing right yeah. now? No, I had, I had heard rumors, and I don't want to you know spread them here but that you know he was sick enough to not want me to be able to work or really be seen I, mm. I mean i just know that he's officially retired yeah like g and that he you know he just didn't want to do it he was, i mean that's why it wasn't in crystal skull either he just was having too much fun being retired <laughs> you know, hey not everybody should go out on league of extraordinary gentlemen <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's his welcome to boost point <laughs> oh, oh my god oh god yeah with gene hack <laughs> no. oh I don't know which one's worse in that category. <laughs> uh, welcome to Mooseport's Moose worse. Mooseport, yeah, because nothing's worse than a, fun, a comedy that's not funny. Yes. Uh, on the other hand, League of Australia Gentlemen is an action picture that's unintentionally hilarious. There you go. So, what? What's that sound? Just the sound of treachery. Oh, my God. Anyway, the For Marshall Club video game was quite <laughs> solid. It was a, I, I liked it. It was a... Um, it was a neat way to kind of to bring. The, I mean, talk, we're talking about this movie and how it's you know not really action packed necessarily, and for that game, it is. A, it, it even has like the jet pack from Thunderball at the beginning. Yes, of the game. So yes, I remember that. Um, did anyone buy the new GoldenEye the reissue that came out a couple years ago? No, the it's um, incredibly hard. The, the noise. Uh, yeah, there. I bought it on the Wii. The, uh, yeah, I bought it on the Wii too. With, it's like uh, up, it's updated for Daniel Craig, and it's kind of modernized or modernized the plot a little bit. You know, ten years later or whatever you want to call it, which is which is fine, but it's incredibly challenging. It, yeah, but I was really into it. I, I really enjoyed that game. <laughs> it was, yeah. I like the old version where I can actually win. Well, yeah, I like the old version because it's, <laughs> it's Golden Nine Sixty Four, and I'll always love that forever. But the idea of like of remaking a game like, like yeah. similarly to how you're remaking a movie was intriguing to me, and I really enjoyed that. I liked what they did with it. It's basically yeah. just Call of Duty Bond, but it was fun. <laughs> um, I'm going to go to back to the film here. Okay. <laughs> um, um, this is kind of uh, where they where they kind of failed with Dr. No, they get right here, is once they steal the Lecter device, they're on the run, and you really feel that, because they have something that the Russians are wanting and that Spectre is after them for, and they're hiding out on this train under an assumed identity as a married couple, but you kind of get the feel of the chase, whereas in Dr. No, they were trying to get the North by Northwest feel, but they kept having uh, Sean Connery hunting everyone down, where it kind of loses, you know, your sense of suspense when he's just tracking everyone down and getting the best of them. Yeah, this one, this it's neat because, you know, Bond has actually basically completed his mission. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, you know, trying to he's get just trying to get to the, the finish line here. Yeah. And you have, you know, some guys spying, a Russian spy on the train, and you have uh, Grant also on board with them. 
and just waiting for whoever to strike first. Which is leading up, to, yeah, and I mean, all this is, I mean, this movie is fantastic. I, I really like this movie a lot. And I mean, it's leading up to one of the, you know, best best scenes in a Bond film of, of having that confrontation between uh, Connery and yeah. Robert Shaw. It's yeah. certainly and, one of the all-time classic, and you know, it, yeah. Manny, Mano, Mano, gosh darn it. Mano, Mano. Thank you. Mano, Mano, Mano fight scenes, arguably in cinematic history. It's a, yeah, it's a it's a great one for sure, and uh, it, it's a it's three weeks film. Yeah, I remember it being. Really? It's it's very. I've read 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 about how it's it was a very complex sequence to shoot because you have such close quarters and you have these just a lot of different elements involved. And you had the actual actors doing most of the work. Yeah. Now, uh, what was unfortunate? What I find unfortunate is that I mean, people that just kind of casually know James Bond don't aren't more aware of Red Grant as a as a one of the one of the key like henchman villain characters well he was he was copied so many times too and i mean you you look at people like jaws or odd job because they have such defining qualities about them but red grant's just a he's a great it's a it's a great character in this in the oh yeah he um i mean the brute blonde henchman was you know never never done near as good as this and uh i like that they keep him silent and when he assumes the identity, he's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like, you know, his take on, you know, the British guy or whatever, and he's he looks uncomfortable doing it and kind of socially awkward, which is kind of fun because you get the sense that this guy doesn't get out much. <laughs> and, uh... But I like that about the uh, the character, too, is that they don't expose him as, you know, the main villain. I guess they're... The climax doesn't happen until later on in the film, and it's pretty well paced. Um, are there a lot of? I mean, what other James Bond films are there with extended sequences on a train? Uh, you have yeah. uh, Live and Let Die goes on a train. Yeah. Um, the Spy Who Loved Me goes on a train. Kind of throwing back to these sequences. Uh, I believe that's it. Um, but he fights, uh, you know, Red Grant in this one. Teehee and Live and Let Die, and then Jaws shows up on the train. Yeah, Live and Let Die has the <laughs> the whole fake arm bit, you know, or the mechanical arm bit. That yeah, which they... I, I like. I like what they did there. I don't know if it was intentional, but for the whole movie, you have James Bond visiting the world of black exploitation, and when they get on the train, and for the end, you kind of have him back in his safety net, and you bring Teehee from the black exploitation world back into the James Bond world. And see how it plays there, but and then Baron Samity laughs on the train at the end. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'll be back. Never. <laughs> it's interesting when they when they attempt to do. Or I mean, interesting might be an adjective that I could use differently, but it's something when you have kind of the, like the main henchman character who like does not get disposed of until like the last pit of the bit of the movie so you have like something like live and let die or even the man of the golden gun we have knickknacks like still around or or the yeah, uh, the twin the twin characters and, yeah yeah i guess so yeah uh rosa club here uh and goldfinger is one of the few main baddies to show up in that last little bit mm-hmm. on the the plane where bond tells you the whole movie don't fire a gun on the plane what goldfinger doesn't listen yeah He's playing his golden hop. <laughs> See, here's where they could have done some more with her character. 
maybe contacting with Grant on the train secretly while you think maybe she's still involved. But, but it's because no. she's just really bubbly and happy about everything. <laughs> yeah. What, um... Here's a question, just, I guess, for people listening that aren't exactly know. Doc, so Dr. No comes out in, what, 62? Yes. And, um... Was that so? Was that like an immediate success? It was like a huge. It was. It was. A, it was a hit. But this is the one that had him take off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then this, Goldfinger this... just went boom. Uh, yeah, Goldfinger made about fifty, fifty-three, fifty-six million dollars in the U.S. in nineteen sixty-four. So Thunderball like two hundred million or something. Just oh, for inflation, that, like closer to a half a billion. <laughs> um, and then Thunderball did about. I think $65 million in 1965, which is the equivalent of about $800 million. Uh, that might be more than that, because I remember that statistic from a few years back. Let me see if I can look that up. Thunderball is the, adjusted for inflation, the largest grossing of all time, I believe. Hmm. And, you know, other, you know, before the Brosnan bond sort of took him up to the hundred million, hundred million plus level, you know, the highest grossing Bond film was Moonraker. Let's see. Yeah, adjusted for ticket price inflation, Thunderball did six hundred million, Gold Goldfinger did five hundred and thirty one. But then you have a giant drop from, you know, you only live twice. Which did two hundred eighty-seven. Moonraker did two twenty-four. So I mean, these were big movies by any reasonable standard. But even by today's inflated, adjusted for inflation standard, you know they're big hits, but they were never mega, mega, mega hits. You know, and in terms of today's numbers, there's never been a Bond film that's done two hundred million dollars. The highest-grossing one was Quantum, isn't it? Quantum of Solace did one hundred sixty-eight. Casino Royale did one hundred sixty-seven, and Die Another Day did one hundred sixty. And these and are that, all these are all domestic, though, correct? Yes, yes, these are all domestic. Um, and obviously they did a lot more worldwide, but that's, you know, another story. Um, but I mean, I mean, I, I don't want to get a box office prognostics gear, but I'm thinking, you know, Skyfall could easily do, you know, 75, 80 million opening weekend, have halfway decent legs, make it a 240 and pop. It's one of the highest grossing films, even adjusted for inflation in the entire series. I mean, yeah, I, I have a good feeling about Skyfall just because of kind of, regardless of, you know, the, the the percept the what what I guess a majority of people would think that Quantum of Solace is inferior to Casino Royale. Or, I mean, I think there's a good anticipation for the next Daniel Craig Bond movie and the fact that you know the advertising is very good for it. Like, yes, I, it's, it's been four years. Yeah, exactly. Yes. There's a, there's a huge anticipation for another Bond movie. It looks like a damn good action movie. People didn't maybe not have gotten that from the most similar franchise, which would be the Bourne series. So I mean, there's a, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are working well to making Skyfall into a big hit. Uh, I, I, Except I made, for the poster. <laughs> I like the. That, I mean, yeah, the poster's way simple. I would agree with that. But yeah, no, I've, I've made this comment elsewhere. But you know, at the end of the Bourne Legacy, my first thought was, wow, I bet you know Sony MGM, which is they could just run the Skyfall trailer at the end of every print of this film, <laughs> just to rub it in. Uh, Okay, here comes a here comes a cool scene. Where, uh, okay, well, this is not the one. This is oh, well, I like this. Yeah, with him shadowing the Bond. Red Menace, and he learns. Uh, I believe he picks up the secret code 
Prabhana and his contacts here that he uses on the next train stop. But Hitchcock would be proud of this one. It's a good one take. Yes, here's the exchange he picks up from watching this scene. It's kind of like he's like an alien observing humans. <laughs> this stranger. <laughs> With blonde hair. Tries to emulate their behavior when he actually speaks. Your father is dead. Deal with it. <laughs> I was looking at a Bond suit, and I just read this little thing on IMDb. Sean Connery was outfitted for the film with eight specially tailored Seville Row suits, each one costing in the region of $2,000. Worth every penny. <laughs> and this this is actually the movie that made Sean Connery the star. The, as, uh, yeah. As opposed to Dr. No, which just said, hey, James Bond's here. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's, it's 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 often the second film that solidifies their status. You know, with Harrison Ford, it wasn't until The Empire Strikes Back that they became Harrison Ford. Yeah, and it, it's a shame you, you see all these lists online and stuff because you know us geeks love our lists, and uh, when they do the best sequels of all time, you never see a Bond film in them. No, they you don't. Seem yeah. to be on the outside yeah. looking in, but this is one of the greatest sequels of all time. That's very argue, true. Yeah, that's a good point. That's something. And I would argue it's a huge jump in quality from the first film. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Doctor No. I think what value it has is purely because it was the first one. Frankly, well, it, it, it's Connery driving that film. That's that's why yeah. Doctor No works so well. And then yeah. this one, the film actually carries you. Yeah. When did Marnie um, come out? Marnie's like 64, I think. Uh, yeah, Marnie was wait. between... Yeah, Mar uh, Marnie 64, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It was like one of the few film films he was able to do... In between Bond cause, movies. Yeah, because he was doing one a year. And, I mean, it's a wonder... I mean, sometimes they get mad. These actors are like, well, I'm sick of playing this role. I'm like, you should cherish being in a franchise. But Connery was kind of worked to death here at the Bonds. Marnie, for those who don't know, is an Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock movie starring Sean Connery. Which, and Tippi Hedren. Tippi Hedren. And it's, you know, awesome. <laughs> so go, mm, go see my, my tippy mm, yay right. <laughs> when you read about the horrible things that Alfred Hitchcock did to Tippy Edrin you get, the, you get the feeling that he just didn't quite get Vertigo <laughs> <laughs> maybe he needed to watch that one again yeah, he needed to watch it more uh, okay. but Uh, no, Mar Marnie is is. I think its reputation has grown over the years simply because it's for the last twenty years it's been you know the, the quote unquote underrated Hitchcock film that nobody liked in its day. And like, you know, get, uh, some would say a lot of Hitchcock's movies were under were not liked in their day. Yeah, even Vertigo. For oh, yeah, example. Vertigo. Yeah. I mean, The Birds was considered a comeback for him because he hadn't had a quote unquote you know big hit since. Uh, <sighs> uh, oh, Psycho! I, I like this here. They're uh, not letting you hear his voice until he gets on the train. <laughs> yeah, they really wanted to preserve the mystique of Red Grass. <laughs> now, you mentioned that the Bond girl, in or the name, the woman's name escapes me, was dubbed. Uh, and Ursula Andress was dubbed as well, correct? Yes, yes. And um, 
So was Domino in Thunderball. Wow. Um, and so was uh, 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 Plenty O'Toole in Diamonds Are Forever. Because we needed to hear more of her. So. That was yes. a dubbed voice? Oh, my God. That was a dubbed voice. That was a what bad was choice. Voice, what was the voice and they had? Funny enough, the woman dubbing these voices, it's the same woman dubbing these voices in these movies. <laughs> I, that I did not know. Yeah. Um, I don't know if she's every one of them, but she's multiple Bond girls oh. by voice. Um, and I know Gerp, Gerb, Gert Frobe, is that how you pronounce his name? Yes. Uh, yes. He's dubbed in Goldfinger. Was Doc, Was Joe Wiseman dubbed in Dr. No? No, no um, yeah. but uh, Largo was in Thunderball. Huh. See, people are like, oh, he's such a good villain. I'm like, which guy? The the physical or the <laughs> the verbal? It's kind of shocking how often that was done in the you know somewhat older films. I mean, something today that would be just almost unthinkable. Yeah. Uh, you know, you go to watch, uh, I don't know, The Dark Knight, and it turns out that, you know, the Joker's voice, you know, it's, it eats leather, but it's actually, you know, Mark Hamill's voice dubbed in or something. That would be yeah. awesome, by the way. But <laughs> um, now I want to see that. Um, you could probably YouTube that right away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's it's something that yeah they did a lot in the older films, but it's just something that again would almost be unthinkable by today's you know today. Yeah. Well, there was also the strong desire to make Bond an American for some reason. There was always you know, always read of actors they wanted as Bond, and especially when they were interchanging them. American yeah. actors and uh, like Burt Reynolds was thought of as a Bond. Yeah. Um, like that... I said, uh, James Brolin was almost there with For Your Eyes Only. So I guess my question is if, you know, post License to Kill, had they actually gotten Mel Gibson, would he have been allowed to keep his Australian accent? <laughs> I don't know. He was actually never um, really uh, brought in. From so what that I was just a rumor? His name was pitched around the studio, but yeah. there's a lot of those. Like, oh, yeah. uh, I, Christopher Lambert for Living I'm, Daylights. Hey. I drive his bond. I can't, I can't even do his voice. I'm not this sure. This is my Walther PPK. <laughs> <laughs> that one's better. <laughs> my name is Bond of the Clan 007. <laughs> <laughs> I am a secret agent. Hey, we, uh, Freddie Mercury was still alive. He could have done the theme song. There you go. <laughs> oh, my God. The quickening. Be awesome. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? The um, <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> I'll get it I'm back. Just thinking, I'm just thinking of Freddie Mercury doing a Bond song. Oh, the um, okay. So if we had James Brolin as Bond, would that be like the Steven Spielberg directed James Brolin starring for, for your eyes only? Uh, I, I think it was gonna be John Glenn at that point already. Okay. Spielberg went and did this other adventure film, uh something. I think it finally came out on Blu ray today, but Yeah. Next Nin- suck. Nineteen forty one is is pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well isn't that I mean no no, I'm thinking Superman. because uh, I know they, they they had looked at Spielberg for Superman, but they, you know he wasn't trustworthy because Jaws was going so over budget at the time. <laughs> yeah, he was. Well, the uh, Spy Who Loved Me, they were thinking about him for that, but they're like, let's see how this Jaws movie does. <laughs> and then they were in talks for For Your Eyes Only, but it was taking a while, and Lucas came to Spielberg with Indiana Jones, and he went with that. Well, I'm I'm sure they probably weren't thrilled with him after 1941. 
if I recall, <laughs> one of the reasons he did Raiders was to prove that he actually do a movie on budget for once. Um, that was well, one of his yeah, reasons for doing Raiders. You know, because he went way over budget on Jaws, and he went somewhat over budget on Close Encounters, and he, you know, basically crapped the farm on 1941. Hmm. Oh, here we have Rufy's on film. Woo! Um, all kinds of controversy going on here. There's nudity, there's roofies, there's sex tapes, blonde this... Russians. Spy <laughs> smut. Uh, here is Red Grant and James Bond, just two strangers on a train. hey Could just shoot him. Could. Well, you're going to be saying that to the other guy in a few seconds. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of that in these films. Yeah, Before but, I pull the trigger, let me tell you exactly what I'm going to do. But Red Grant doesn't have red or gold bullion to, to offer him in exchange. <laughs> yes, this is true. Ooh, gold. <laughs> you know me too well, Mr. Bond. It's the color of my hair. My weakness. Bribery. My uncle Gert Frobe told me all about... All right. It's not like I need the money on Spectre Island. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Times are tough at Spectre. Yeah. They just lost Dr. No, top accountant. The vending machines are always Ooh. overpriced. <laughs> and the food is terrible. <laughs> Once again, shoot him. <laughs> He's knocked him out. I mean, there's no way out of that. So here's a, qu a question. This is something that's always crossed my mind. This isn't just the Bond films. It's any any number of, of you know adventure franchises. Is the hero heroism of the hero diluted by the fact that he so often escapes death purely at the whim of the villain? Uh, hmm. Hmm. I like how Incredibles is one like great source that like counters that just with the yeah the referencing of the idea of monologue like giving it yeah. a term monologue well, yeah it was you know fallacy of the talking killer as Ebert always called it yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's glossary but you know the idea of oh you know James Bond is, is this great wonderful hero but if not for his mercy he'd be dead right here movie would be over or in, in Goldfinger if not for you know Goldfinger's arbitrary mercy although you know Brandon you actually had a pretty good reason for that you can elaborate if you want. Um, you Goldfinger know. was pretty set on killing him. He just had a, yeah. his device was way too elaborate to give him time. To... Yeah. But again, it was just sort of through, but for his mercy, Bond would be dead and the Operation Grand Slam would have been success. Uh, you know, back in the day, though, too, they were trying to, uh, I don't know, maybe show life lessons with these films to try to say, hey, don't be so vain. It, it'll cost you in the yeah. end. And I mean, it may sound silly now, but it was a real kind of force back in the day with storytelling these yeah. films. Goldfinger, I, I, I surmise that, you know, Bond and him are, you know, complete opposites of each other, but he's hell-bent on showing that, you know, he's better than Bond, and he wants Bond before he dies to see him on top of the world and Bond at the lowest rung of the ladder before he kills him, and that's why he keeps him alive and drags him on throughout Goldfinger. This is... A key reason also why You Only Move Twice is my favorite Simpsons episode of all time, where you have oh, that Bond cool. scene where he just immediately kills him. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my favorite Simpsons episodes. I mean, that's like, you have, you have the Goldfinger scene, you have the slow-moving laser, then he escapes it with the penny that, like, nails all his cups, then Homer tackles him, and then you <laughs> see him shoot it machine gun into Bond off screen. <laughs> it's like, that is the... That just, <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I would die laughing. <laughs> uh. Well, this is kind of, you know, this is early villainry here in film. So Bond's like, you know, before you kill me, what what's really going on here? He's provided the the dying things. wish. I mean, he, he's, 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 mo- he's moved on to get the silencer out. He's... Yeah. Yes. The he's... Spectre Make-A-Wish Foundation will reveal to you a plot. <laughs> See, this is interesting because they, they explicitly say that they're going to whack the girl afterwards anyway, mm-hmm. which, you know, in a skewed way sort of negates her villainy that allows her to be the heroine at the end of the story. True. Well, she was never involved. She thought she was working for Russia. Yes, exactly. She... I think there's something also to be said for, you know, Red Grant's basic professionalism about his job and like a, a sort of respect for this man that he's been, you know, following and savoring the kill on, given that he's saved his life several times and hoping that everything can go right just so he can get exactly what he needs out of him. I think there's almost a, a professional courtesy among assassins to allow him to have some knowledge before he meets his untimely demise, since he feels like he's superior right now and he has the upper hand in every way possible. Yes, this is an un, like, you know an overly long, I'm going to tell you a lot of things that would probably ruin the uh, my know, plot, we- but... We do look at this now. I mean, looking back, we're like, oh, this is so cliched, blah, blah, blah. But this was probably one of the first movies doing something like this in a scene. And somehow Bond has to get to the finish line and stop this whole thing and know what's going on. And if he just tells him, it saves a lot of time and the movie can move on. But up to this point, I mean, the film's earned the right to do this. I, I would agree for sure. It's an it's an interesting sort of payoff as opposed to having like an all out. I mean, you're going to get to the you know the action sequence that follows this, which is superb, and you know is that's why this works as you know an ode to Hitchcock so well because you have all this suspense going on here, and then there's which only leads into you know more and more actually payoff that's well shot and satisfying. <laughs> And you can always watch for Red Grant to pull off Sean Connery's toupee. <laughs> nope, oh, here we go. The 50 gold sovereigns. Yeah. Can't pass him up. I mean, while he's here doing this, he might as well profit. Yeah. Can buy his, what I assume is whatever he has that passes for a girlfriend, something special at Spectre Island. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the more you guys talk about Spectre Island, the more I actually want to go there for a vacation. Uh, yeah, I mean, if we have <laughs> Harry Potter land, I'm pretty sure Spectre Island should be in the works as well. <laughs> they have a, a great flamethrower competition in October. It's coming up. It's <laughs> something to see. Uh, and they have hat throwing. I know, they, they really needed Bond to infiltrate Spectre Island. A pie-eating contest where you use mechanical jaws. <laughs> A zip line that grown-ups can ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, cloaked car races. <laughs> well, you know what? Shoot him, then open the suitcase. Oh, no. What? <laughs> <laughs> I've been tricked by a spy. Who'd have thunk? Okay, and yeah, that's cool. The like it shut down. It's... 
So we're watching the fight sequence now, and just, I mean, it, it just looks complicated to film. Like, look at all these different angles, all these cuts you have. To, like, Tight quarters. Exactly. The CQC action. But there's only it's pretty brutal for yeah, a yeah, yeah, it looks like, <laughs> It looks like a knockdown drag out fight too. I mean, it's really impressive what they're able to do here. But there's there's not too many cuts. There's just enough cuts to you know show off the action. There's still an inherent you know coherence of time and place and geography. Yes, I agree. Yeah, yes, yeah. for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. Something Harrison Ford said when he was doing press for Air Force One is that he really likes doing action scenes in close quarters because you have all these things to bounce off of walls, doors, you know close well just watch the scene i mean they're hitting something at every turn that was it's not cool just two guys cool. in an empty warehouse going at it you can see kind of that they pulled the frames there a little bit to speed up the action i like when they do that yes and i'll be jackie chan that's something that's something i admire in like mel gibson's direction and his action in like um, apocalypto and uh braveheart where he pulls frames and just makes things seem that much more intense among other people that oh, use that. Call back to the opening sequence. Uh, the garage. But this time it will be different. And this fight is long. I mean, this is a long yes. Yeah, This is like a few minutes long. And every device has been used from the suitcase. Oh. Ah. Knives, my weakness. And, and funny enough, <laughs> James Bond will keep this little watch for a trophy. As we see in uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Interesting. He, uh, there's a scene. Uh, they try their best to remind you that this, while this is a different actor, this is the same James Bond. And there's a scene where he goes through his things in his desk and he pulls out the watch and they play the From Russia with Love theme a little bit huh. and he plays with it. Is that the Ark of the Covenant? Yep, pretty sure. <laughs> Thief. I like that the first thing Bond did was adjust his suit after he <laughs> after he killed that guy. What's Bond trademark? Yeah, exactly. He's always got to look dapper. Yeah, that's what separates him from Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne doesn't even wear a suit. Uh, when does the James Bond bowler hat? Is it not a bowler hat? When does the James fedora? Is it fedora? When does uh, it, when do when do we when does that retire? When do we not see the hat? Roger Moore. Roger Moore doesn't use it at all. It is yeah. yeah. He doesn't use it in uh, Diamonds Are Forever, but he has it in the gun barrel sequence. Okay. Yeah. He does. He has it. In, oh yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, Connery. Yeah, Connery always had it in the gun barrel sequence. Did um, he wear it in the actual films of Goldfinger and Thunderball and what have you? Did he wear it? He doesn't yeah. wear it in Goldeneye or or Gold Goldeneye Goldfinger. I don't believe. I believe. Well, he has it. Um, they have always have the gag where he tosses the hat under yes. the hook with money mm-hmm. pennies, yes, yes. and they kind of do different variations on that where the hat appears. I'm not. I want to say it is in Goldfinger or Goldfinger, but done a different way. I think money penny takes it off. It's just when I think of you know Sean Connery wearing this. A hat, I think of, frankly, this movie. You know, this is really, for me, the only one that I associate with him wearing a hat, you know, fedora. I agree with that. That's why I just, I, it doesn't come to mind for the yeah. other movies after this point. And I remember, you know, the, the first Bond film I ever saw was A Living Daylight. I saw it in a theater when I was seven years old. Sorry. And I'm not. <laughs> uh, that's for another day. Right. Um, I'm trying to keep my uh, opinions on future Bond films that have not published. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I remember I, I immediately went out and rented, you know, the, these movies, you know, 
as many as I can get my hands on. And I remember being shocked at, you know, wait a minute, why is Bond wearing a hat in the gun barrel sequence? That doesn't make sense. Timothy Dalton never wore a hat. You know, when you're seven, these things bother you. I, I believe there's a scene in one of Roger Moore's where he's going to the coat, or I think the official retirement scene is one of the Bonds goes to the coat rack and says, I think I brought a hat. Or I remember bringing a hat here, and there, there's no hat. But there's uh, a scene like that. See, I, I couldn't imagine. I can't imagine Roger Moore wearing a hat just because, like, okay. if Sean Connery's like the Frank Sinatra Bond, De- Roger Moore is the deep the the um, Dean Martin Bond, and you know, I see, yeah. I see, I see blue eyes and a hat. I don't. Well, they really tried to to establish Roger Moore as the different guy with Live and Let Die, which. I mean, first off, they didn't want the hat, so they, they made his gun barrel sequence without the hat. They had Bond order a, a bourbon Herb, at yeah. the uh, at the bar. They had him with a magnum at the end of the film, just you know, trying a whole bunch of different little quips to be like, oh, this is this Bond, when really they should just keep Bond as Bond. It's interesting. With the, with the, was the magnum in response to Dirty Harry, or was that just a coincidence? Um, you know, it, it could have been. Was dirty, I mean, Dirty Harry, dirty Harry was out at the time. It was time. two years later. Yeah, two years later. That that may have been it. Um, <laughs> but it, it's funny uh, in Thunderball, Felix Leiter looks like a knockoff Dirty Harry, but Dirty Harry hadn't been made yet. Huh. I think you're. Yeah, you're right. I remember that. So it looks oh. like a knockoff Mark Ruffalo and Zodiac. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so here, Cary Grant is led to Indiana. <laughs> Don't pull pins out of grenades up your teeth. Just saying. That's not, you can't do that. <laughs> I've, I've never tried. That's not, I've been, I've been told by World War II vets that that's not something you do in real life. <laughs> Um, fun story of uh, the production, some of the troubles, uh, when filming some of the helicopter views, uh, Terrence Young was up in the helicopter and it crashed oh. and, uh, was underwater. He was trapped in a, you know, he had an air bubble, but was trapped underwater in it and they got him out. He put on a sling and went right back to directing. Nice. Awesome. Badass. So, uh, the fact that this guy might be a real life him. James Bond. <laughs> This is cool stuff, by the way. I like. Really, oh, yes. I mean, this, I mean, this is like. I mean, get north by northwest. Do this. Yeah. I mean, that's what the scene is, and it's really oh, cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it yeah. looks dangerous. <laughs> I I would argue that this is the scene that most explicitly references, you know, north by northwest and this kind of Hitchcock bit. Oh yeah, and oh, I saw yeah. this movie long before I ever watched North by Northwest when I was yeah. young, and I you know I mixed the two together a lot when I was was young but i i thought oh this is it's a james bond thing but it's no clearly north by northwest um and this is interesting because you have a film that basically has three four distinct action you know finales uh you have the fight on the train you have this sequence you have again, i'm assuming the anyone listening has seen the film um well i'll wait for that just to end then i'll continue Oh. Shot. Nice. This film is uh, 49 years old, Scott. I think we're okay with spoilers. No, I just want to wait for the end of the sequence. 
I want to watch the helicopter <laughs> blow up first. Anyway, that now was, the helicopter's that blown was, up. That was, um, that was one explosive warrior bird. <laughs> so you've got, you know, the, 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 this is the second of four, you know, climaxes. And then you've already, you've got the boat chase coming up. And then you have the very brief sequence with, uh, what's her name? Uh, help me here. Uh, uh, Close Club. Rosa Club. Yes, yes. Where she is dispatched <clears throat> by the female lead. Uh, and again, as, as something I've, I've found that, you know, whenever, pretty much, for as long as I've been alive, frankly, anytime a James Bond film comes out, everyone does the press rounds and they try to convince you that this Bond girl is the most, you know, the toughest, the most active, the most feminist, the most, you know, can hold their own, blah, 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 blah. And Tanya but... Roberts delivered. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of people. Uh, since I've been paying attention to these, which was you know, the Living Daylights, um, but I'd say mo- there are more Bond girls that are can quote unquote hold their own than can't in one in one form or another. You know, you have someone like Natalia Isabella Scarupo and Gold Gold Goldeneye, who I think is very good, uh, who is excellent. And I, what I like is that she quote unquote holds her own by being different from Bond, and by you know I think from an emotional standpoint. She 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 is disgusted by the violence she sees around her, Boys and then you have some of the more traditional Bond girls that you know can also shoot and kill people. You know, Halle Berry, uh, Barbara Bach, um, Michelle Michelle yeah, Yao. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're, we're two films in the series. Uh, two of the first four films, the female kills the villain. Yes. Yeah. Um, this this one though, she was she kills a uh, Cleb. Because they didn't want Connery murdering a woman. Really? Yeah. Um, it's that. okay if he slaps them for information, but... Which I believe is, that's like the that's entire crazy. opening of You Only Live yeah. Twice. <laughs> it's just yeah. Bond slapping women around. That's that's why he... Um, that's why she kills him. But I believe in the book at the end, Rosa Club kills Bond. What? And then he brought him back for the dead for the next book. But You Only Live oh. Twice, so... Yeah. <laughs> I hope he's in the sequel. <laughs> he will return in Casino Royale, though. Not the one we like. Which Casino Royale? Not the one we like. Oh, not the one we like. Fair enough. So the one with Peter Sellers. Um, huh? Yeah, he... I uh, can't remember his character. I think he's an auctioneer in that film. There's a lot of crossover people in those. This is quite distracting, watching these characters on a boat. It's like the, the frame's rocking back and forth, and it's very noticeable to me right now. This boat that happens to be right near where Bond is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm guessing Bond is close to Spectre Island. There you go. Yeah. On so, the way. It's one of the Greek islands. She's number three. She's is number three. Two? He's number five. And number two is Largo, and I believe four is Dr. No, but they never specify his number. That's right. Number two is Largo. And of course, Gold, does Goldfinger work for? No, he's, no. he has no era, he has no connection at all. Specters. Does he get their newsletter or anything? He might get the yeah. He might get the like the the the, uh, the email blast. But uh. well, it was uh, the the uh, Fort Knox thing was his audition. <laughs> there you go. I, I could buy that actually. That makes sense. Um, but and then we're about to get to action climax number three. I found this hat. I like how he puts on the hat. 
Yeah, he never wears that. I'm pretty sure he never wears a hat like that again. Well, he is, like, a, he is a commander, like, I believe. Right? That's well, true. He's a commander. I think he always holds it in his hand, though. I think Roger Moore wears them, but Connery... That's true. Roger Moore is in uniform a lot, isn't he? He is, movies. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, it wasn't... You know, I didn't notice that he, you know, what his rank was, per se, until I started watching the Roger Moore ones. It's just something that seems to be referenced a lot more in those. Yeah, commander James Bond. And we are starting the speedboat chase for those following only by audio. And the the um, the action in this movie, it's very diverse, which is something I also enjoy. Like you have they're very distinctive action sequences. Like you have the close quarters one, you have a boat chase, you have the um, a helicopter chase. I mean, they're it it works well to kind of keep the action diversified throughout. Yeah, and they don't they're piled on here at the end, but they don't feel excessive, and you're involved in every one of them. You have to, I mean, I have no idea. I'm just asking. Was this sort of the first modern, you know, at least American slash British extended boat chase action sequence? That's a good question. Uh, That's a a very good question. Um, I mean, they were definitely trying to push the limits. Yeah, and that was, was, you know, I've always said that, you know, the Bond films were the, you know, the Batman or the Star Wars of their time. You know, uh, there was this, the series that was above and beyond what everyone else was delivering at that point. Yeah. And, and I mean, it was one of the first franchises. Yeah. yeah. This, like, Planet of the Apes were, like, the franchises <laughs> that are around. It's Planet of the Apes, and then you had the Universal Monsters. Yeah. And, I mean, that was um, pretty much it. Maybe. The, I mean, the, these films didn't get cheaper as they went along. Fistful of dollars, kind of, just because America decided that they're connected. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a the VHS cover for many years. That is true. God, that's cool. Still, <laughs> he doesn't kill anybody in that scene, does he? Yeah, uh, eventually his attack oh, causes death. There you go. <laughs> I, ca- I counted these. I had to pause and count these people on these boats when I was doing the death toll on this one. <laughs> a lot of them jump off. Well. Yeah, but the, but there's octopuses and they kill people underneath. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's octopus. Bond. Oct- there's octopuses. It's James Bond. There's sharks. There's sharks and That's octopuses. True. With lasers on their nose or whatever. Yep. Oh yeah, he's not gonna make it. Oh. Well, yeah, because he's like, I I oh, forgot my luggage. Oh no. Now I'll never get back to Spectre Island. <laughs> <laughs> I had a gift certificate. Well, I guess the movie's over. Nothing more could possibly happen now. Mm-hmm. And again, I I I wonder, you know, again, I sound like a broken record. You know, the first film to do this, the first film to do that, but in terms of having sort of a post-climax, last thrill-type gimmick. You know, it's something that's sort of, you know, characterized by the Halloween films, or, you know, Carrie, Carrie perhaps. Yeah. Um, that's just like a sting, too. Like yeah, yeah, but it, this is, in its own way, it's almost a sting. You know, it's a very short, last hurrah. Um, I mean, they could have easily carried Kleb over to another film. Yeah. Um, 
But Maniacal Maids were in that year, so they were good. Otherwise, they're the most popular. And, and, and she wore she wore the wig because Bond knew what she looked like before. <laughs> <laughs> she was in character. No one's gonna believe there's like. A <gasps> <character>. <laughs> oh no! Her hair is all gray. See, this scene would play up a lot more had they done what I said earlier with the character. Yeah. Is she going to help Club or is she going to help Bond? Add some actual. I, I think it's, it's it's not a terribly well developed romance. It's it's somewhat perfunctory. Perfunctory. I always mispronounce this word. Perfunctory. Perfunctory. Close enough. Um, Jerry and Knight. Well, she's she's all into Bond, and Bond's just having fun. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's it's it's. And then there's a question of how much of an emotional attachment you want to, for Bond to have to these women, each film in and out, in and out. There's, uh, there's, yeah, this is only the second film of the franchise. Actually, yeah. yeah. There's two there's films in the, the whole franchise where, uh, well, three, actually, where the emotional attachment for Bond really comes off. And you're thinking, I'm at a Secret Service, World is Not Enough, and Casino Royale? Uh, no, I was thinking Under Majesty's Secret Service, Living Daylights, and uh, Casino Royale. That too. I would. I would. World is not enough. Fair choice. I would argue for the world's not enough on that scale. But uh... she gets better aim when she takes off the wig. <laughs> you can't just like stay away from her. <laughs> it's not exactly a very long-range weapon she's got there. Maybe she's just Maybe making she's... fun of Sean Connery's hair by pulling off her own wig. <laughs> oh. Uh. It's interesting. This is one of the rare female villains who isn't conventionally attractive. That's something you... <laughs> no, no, I don't say that to make fun of her or anything. That's just That's something you generally don't see. Yeah, uh, they, they do try to copy her with Irma Blunt in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even more brooding. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not funny, James. A woman just died. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Venice. You're all gonna die. And here's the song with lyrics. Yep. 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 Now, is this the only... I, I don't know. Is this the only one where the theme song plays at the end of the film instead of the beginning? Well, it, well, a lot of them play at the end in addition to, but this is the only one that it plays uh, the, the, the real song at the end and just an huh. instrumental in the credits. A lot of people forget about that because they don't stay to the end of the credits of that, that classic Dr. No theme where it's like, Dr. No! Dr. No! Dr. No! Dr. No! Dr. No! no. no. It's a it's a it's a classic. Uh, the monkeys Although, did that. Um, both Dalton films, it, they feel like they were uh, uh, going a little my things here, but uh, we're trying to sell some records in addition to the film, and they have an additional song as the credit song. The, some of the Brosnan movies do that, don't they? Uh, no, 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 I don't think so. I think those are purely instrumental. I'll take your word for it. Uh, Unless you can count the Die Another Day remix. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say it too. I really like the Cheryl Crow song in Tomorrow Never Dies. I agree. I, I think that song's underrated. I think people people seem to not like that song. I don't know why. 
I like I like that song. I like the Golden Eye theme. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, Tina Turner delivering a Golden Eye. That's yeah. Ernest Blofeld played by. It, don't know. Can you look up question mark on IMDb, please? I have it. Yeah, right here actually. <laughs> it says it says. <laughs> also known as Alan Smithy. The um, to dig into it, there it says anonymous credit for Anthony Dawson as body and Eric Pullman as voice. Mm. The the voice was actually the guy um, in Doctor No who Bond shot in cold blood. Huh. I can't remember oh. the character or actor's name, but he played Blofeld in Thunderball and From Russia with Love. Huh. That's weird. They would bring him back even vocally. There's yeah. a there's a lot of there's a lot of um, people they bring back in different roles, like Maude Adams, Joe Don Baker. It's an yeah, Joe Don Baker, right? He's in Living oh, Daylight again, isn't it? He's the villain of Living Golden Eye and Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. Um, it's like the Law and Order of spy franchises. It's very incestuous, <laughs> yes. Uh, ah, the olden days where the crats were 10 seconds long. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I guess that brings us to the end of our uh, For Russia With Love commentary, and I have enjoyed this quite a bit. This makes me want to do more than just two Bond commentaries, actually. But, um, yeah, Very insightful in do we want to? I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it after we're done. But yeah, yeah. I have some thoughts. Yeah, we can. Uh, we'll get to that later. But um, for now, yeah, that's going to be the. Uh, yeah, I think that's. We can just wrap it up then. Yeah, because uh, well, uh, yeah, thanks for anyone who's listened to these to this Bond commentary. Uh, we do tend to like doing these, and we know that some people listen to these without watching the movie and just listen to the audio. So you know, good on you for sticking through it if you did. Um. Okay, so that's going to do it for this episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can, of course, find more of my work at my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews, as well as at wisetoblue.com for Blu-ray reviews. And follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash aaronsps3. Abe? You can have more fun stuff at walrusmoose.blogspot.com and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Scott? I'm at Mendelssohn's Memos, Scott Mendelson at blogspot.com, and Huffington Post. And Brandon? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BT Peters and also on Mendelssohn, uh, Mendelssohn's Memos, the website that reports the truth. Yeah, for, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I'll, I'll be sure to. Uh, Exiles. I'll post a. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to that kind of uh, like keywords to your to your Bond dissections because I am quite enjoying those and I hope other people will check those out as well because they're, they're they're all under the keyword 007 retrospective. Boom! There you go. So, yeah, I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Um, you can, of course, find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. We have, our, of course, our regular episodes where we talk about the newest movie release of the week. But we also have several of these other commentaries for classics such as Street Fighter and um, <laughs> and um, Judge Dredd, which we just recently did as well. Judge Dredd, yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, all those episodes are available at iTunes, also at hhwlod.com, the podcast network that's happy enough to, happy enough to host our show, and we appreciate it dearly. Also, uh, outnow.podomatic.com most of our newest episodes are there along with some exclusives and you of course can email us outnowpodcast at gmail.com uh, send us your thoughts on I don't know Bond films in general which Bond films you perhaps find to be your favorite any comments on them in general or even like, suggestions for future Bond commentaries we should do because I had a lot of fun to talk about a Bond movie I love the Bond I'm a big fan of watching the Bond series so you know that was fun and, of course, Facebook.com slash OutNowPodcast and Twitter.com slash OutNow underscore podcast. You can follow and like our pages there, and we provide all the updates and various pictures and what have you. Um, what else? Um, I think that's going to do it. 
uh, Bond will return in another commentary. But, uh, <laughs> until next time, so long. And goodbye. And good night. From Russia with love I fly to you Much wiser since my goodbye to you I've traveled the world With love I've seen places Faces And smiled For a moment But oh You haunted me so Still my tongue-tied Young pride Would not let my love For you show In case you'd say no To Russia I flew But there and then I suddenly knew You'd care again By running around It's true I fly to you Russia with